last week that we're going to begin for about six weeks, I think, uh, study regarding concentric circles of concern. Could I get Ray? Could I get you to help me pass some of these out? They're they're each one they're flipped back and forth like that, and so you just give them a little packet. Yeah, Mike. There you go. Take the packet. I think it's important for us to take, times, uh, take time to be reminded about the purpose of the church and the purpose of our lives. And one of those primary purposes is to, is to be able to share our faith and to share with people what we know and what's happened to us, that they might have an opportunity to, to be saved and have a relationship with Christ. One of the primary reasons that God leaves us here in this world is to be a witness to the world, to be the light to the world, to be the salt of the earth. Uh, there's, there's not one thing that, that we can do better here than we can do in glory, except be a witness, amen? <laughs> but Because when we get to glory, praising God's going to be better in heaven than it is here. We're, we're going to know the word of God better in heaven than we know here. Uh, we're we're going to be able to uh, live the Christian life better in heaven than we can here. But the one thing that we can do here is to have the opportunity to share our faith and to be that light to the world. And so I want us to be reminded of that. And, and in, in doing that, I want to share with you, uh, I've been here 15 plus years now, and I want to share with you again, some of you, uh, some truths, but then for, the, for some of you be the very first time, some truths about evangelism and about sharing our faith that come from my professor, that I had in personal evangelism at Southwestern Seminary. Let me tell you about him to start with. His name was Dr. Oscar Thompson. Oscar Thompson. Whenever I went to a seminary, one of, the, one of the professors you heard about more than anybody else was Dr. Oscar Thompson. Everybody needed to go to be in Dr. Thompson's class. So I was fortunate enough to be able to be in his class in the fall of 1980. I started, I started seminary the fall of 1979. So I was there one year. This is my second year in seminary, and I had the privilege of being in his personal evangelism class. I, I did not know him personally. I hadn't met him at that time. But I remember going in. We, we went in, and we sat in a, in a chapel setting. We had pews and everything else, a large group of students there. Southwestern Seminary had about 4,000 Students, so it's a good size, largest seminary in the world, actually. So, a good number of students, and, and I hadn't had an opportunity to meet Dr. Thompson. But I was sitting here in this chapel service, and as I was sitting there waiting, to happen here comes this man walking in, and he's on crutches, and he's struggling to make his way through that. And I'm just kind of observing and watching what's happening. You can tell he was struggling to make his way down there, and he goes down to the front. And they, they take and put a little microphone on him because it wasn't a very big room, but his voice was weak. So they had to put this microphone on this man. And I'm, I think, man, this guy looks like he needs to be in the hospital. <laughs> I mean, he really did. He looked like he needed to be in the hospital. And uh, anyway, they got him settled and situation, sit, situated, and, and he turned around. And all of a sudden I realized, that's the professor. <laughs> that's Dr. Thompson. And Dr. Thompson, in that state, he had... He was in his third year of bone cancer, and it had metastasized all over his body, even to his cranial, and, he, and he'd struggled with that and, and was, was very, very weak. 
But Dr. Thompson, whenever he, he turned around, the very first thing he said, he said, uh, he said, men, said, I'm, I'm here to, to, to do one thing. There's one thing I want to do for you this semester. Now, I'm real smart, you know. So I was so smart that I knew what it was going to be. He's going to teach us how to share our faith because it's called personal evangelism, right? Wouldn't that be it? Well, that wasn't what he said. He said, I, I'm, I'm going to do one thing. I'll have one thing that I want to do. He says, I want to meet your needs. I want to meet your needs. He says, love is meeting needs, and I want to love on you, and I want to meet your needs. I can't tell you what that, that did to me. I'm sitting here with a healthy body and everything else. I watched how weak he was whenever he, they brought him in. And I'm thinking, of all people in this room, if there's anybody who needs their, has their needs or needs their needs met, it's, it's Dr. Thompson. It's that man who's down there. But he was as serious as could be. He wanted to meet our needs. Meet our needs. That impacted my life greatly. I can't tell you. I mean, immediately he, he had me as far as that. And I had the privilege of having him that, that semester and listening to him talk and share. At that particular time, he didn't have a book. Uh, there is a book. There's a book out that came out after that. His wife actually helped to finish that book. It's called Concentric Circles of Concern. It's the title of that paper that you have there but whenever I had Dr. Thompson he he hadn't written the book it was just on on notebook paper or, or printed off paper that you'd you'd see and it was his notes and later they they actually did the book but he has this he had this philosophy or this this concept of how the gospel was to be shared and how we were to find out who it is that we're responsible for in this world to share the gospel of Christ. He, he taught us that semester. At the very end of the semester, he, he was, his uh, grader had to finish the semester because he passed away uh, that in December the 28th of 1980 at the close of our, uh, after we had finished that semester. That was the last semester he ever taught. He was only 45 years old. And he was a very young man. But what an impact that he's made. You see people everywhere who either had Dr. Thompson or who've read his book on concentric circles of concern and whose lives have been changed because of how he approached the fact of evangelism. Dr. Thompson said that the most important word in all of the English language is the word relationship. Relationship. Somebody asked him, said, Dr. Thompson, don't you think the most important word in the English language is love? He said, no, it's not love. It's relationship. Because how can you express love unless you be in a relationship? He went on to say that the greatest joys in our life are because of relationships, aren't they? The greatest sorrow in our lives and pain in our life is because of broken relationships. Relationships, that word is important. And he said that's, that's the line whereby that the gospel is supposed to be shared. It's supposed to be shared by and in relationships. He said in Acts chapter 2, verse number 42 and following, it says, And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept filling the sense of hall, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and laid all things, uh, and had all things in common. They were selling property and possessions and were 
sharing with any as they, as they anyone might have need. And day by day, continue in one mind, and breaking bread from house to house. How was it that people were being added to the kingdom? They were breaking bread from house to house. He, he said, that's not a house like in a subdivision. You go from this house to that house to this house to this house. It was rather, it, this house goes to that house over there, and that house goes over to that house over there. And how, how is it that, that the gospel is being shared? How was it lies being touched? Because it was on the lines of relationships. That's the best way to share the gospel, is on these lines of relationship. And, and he says that most of our evangelism wasn't done that way. Most of our evangelism always was towards somebody we did not know. You'll see in that handout that I gave you, I gave you a, the little concentric circles. It's the drawing here, right here. This, these concentric circles right here. All right. He said, and it's true, that most of our evangelism programs were always aimed at number seven out here, person X. Do you know who person X is? That's the person you do not know. It's that person that, that you go up to their house and you knock on their door, cold turkey. <laughs> you knock on their door, you're hoping they don't show up. They don't open the door. But they open the door and you're going to tell them, ask them about their spiritual life. And you're going to tell them about your spiritual life. And you're going to try to help them to understand about Jesus and they give their heart to Jesus. Okay? Any of you ever been through evangelism explosion? Okay. Evangelism explosion is all about person X. Any of you ever been through faith? Faith, yeah, faith is all about person X. Almost every evangelism is going out here to person X. And do you know how most of us feel about this? We are scared to death. We're uncomfortable as can be. We, we, don't feel, we, don't, we don't feel any sense of peace about going to somebody's house we don't know and talking to them about their spiritual life. We just we struggle with that. But that's where everybody's focused on, that person X. Well, Dr. Thompson said, we've skipped all the things that, that are, are matters of relationship. And he says, what we need to begin is, is to start, and the very first one is self. Uh, you need to be concerned about yourself, amen? <laughs> you, you need to make sure you're going to heaven, amen? You need to have absolute certainty about that. You need to know who you are. You need, you need to know that. And then once you know who you are, and once you have a relationship with Christ, now you're at the very center of that circle, and you have the opportunity to influence and to share the gospel on these lines of relationships. Okay? So what is the first line of relationship you have? It's right next to self. It is your immediate family. Now write this down if you're taking notes. Your immediate family are the people who live in the house with you. All right? That's, that's the, the immediate family. Those people who live under your roof. They are your first, that is your first responsibility. Your husband, your wife, your children, whoever, your grandchildren, whoever it might be that's living there with you, they are your responsibility, okay? And, and you have a responsibility to, to make sure that they have a relationship with Christ, to be able to talk to them about the gospel, to be able to pray for them that they come to know Jesus, okay? Now, most of us in our immediate families, in day, nowadays it's not too many. My daddy was one of ten, <laughs> That's a lot in that house. 
But, uh, but we don't have that many. We have three or four, sometimes just two of us And when we get to that immediate family. But wait a minute. That next line of relationship are our relatives, these relatives. Now, that is a different ballgame. That is everybody who is kin to you. You've got to shake the family tree. All right, that's what he said. You've got to shake the family tree. Do you know the people who are kin to you? Now, that's everybody in your family. That means, that means you look on, you're looking on your mama's side, and you're looking on your daddy's side, and you're looking on your wife's mama's side, and your wife's hus- uh, daddy's side. I mean, there's a bunch of people that are people that you relate to. And you need to realize they are in your mission field. God has placed them in your life for you to have an influence on them and primarily for you to find out where they are in relationship to Christ. So you're going to have to do some work. Now, one of our problems about evangelism, especially this kind of thing, is it takes work. It really does. And you're going to have to do some work. But if you really care about people and you really want to make an impact and you really want God to use you in the kingdom work, you ought to be willing to put in the work. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that you go and you begin to find out who are your relatives. Now, when I did this, I was thinking about that in 1980. That was 43 years ago, or 42 years ago in December. 42 years ago, I had Dr. Thompson. And whenever we did that, we had to go through that. In my family, I, I had everybody, and mine and Lynn's family, all the way down to the babies who were born. I knew every one of them. And we, had, we were praying for them and everything. But you know, I let, that, I let that slip. I didn't keep going. Now, some of those who were babies, they got babies. Almost some of those who were babies have got babies that are having babies in our family. Uh, we were talking the other day. I've got cousins that I do not know the names of their, I do not know the names of their children. And some of their, some of their children have children. And I certainly don't know their names. I couldn't put them all together, who's, who, who fits together, uh, to save my life. But I should be able to do that. I should know who they are. So what do you have to do? Shake the family tree. You write down everybody who's in your family, everybody that you can remember. And then when you get to a stopping point, go and ask somebody who knows more than you know. You ask some of your relatives. You know, ask your aunt or your uncle and say, well, who are your kids now and who are your grandkids and who are, who are their kids and try to find out who these people are because all of them are a part of your mission field. Okay, all of them are part of your mission field. Now, now, let me show you what this does. A lot of times you can ask Christians, you'll ask Christians, listen, you, you need to share the gospel or you need to talk about your faith to non-Christians, to people who don't know Jesus or you don't know where they stand in relationship to Jesus. You know what Christians say? I don't know any lost people. I just don't, I don't hang around lost people. I'm, I'm, at, I'm at church, my friends are at church, and I spend time with people at church, and, and, and that's, what I, that's what I have, what I know. And I just don't know anybody. I don't hang around anybody that's lost. Oh, yes you do. Oh, yes you do. You've got people in your life that either they don't know Christ or you don't know if they know Christ. And you've got people in your family 
that, that either do not know Jesus or you don't know if they know Jesus. Okay? So what we're doing is finding out who is our mission field. You have a unique mission field that nobody else in the world has. It's going to be your family. It's going to be your neighbors. It's going to be your work associates. It's going to be people like that. They're going to be yours that I don't have. You're going to be able to impact people. I don't know. And, and so we have to discover what, what am I supposed to do and, and who is I supposed to minister to. I've had people who say, I don't hardly know any people. They can do a survey. I'm talking about on an average person, you will have 200 or more people on this list. 200 or more, easily. Most of you will have three to four to 500 people that you know that will be on your list, according to how big your family is, for one thing. Okay? So you need to go to work to find out who these people are. Now, I know you're saying, well, what good is that? I mean, my cousin, second cousin, twice removed, is... Is, lives over in Texas, and I'm never going to see them. That doesn't mean you're not responsible for them. That doesn't mean you... If one thing we're going to learn, you can pray for them, amen? You can pray for them. And, and how to build a relationship with them. Maybe, you're, maybe you should know them better than what you do know them. And maybe you're the one person in that family who has a chance to impact them and, and make a difference in their life. We'll share those things. And I'll share some stories out of Dr. Thompson's book with you as well. But... The family tree is where you start. After that, then, you come to close friends. Who, who are your close friends? And how do you define Close friends defined by you. How do you define a close friend? But those are the people you know well. They know you well. Some of our close friends are actually closer to us than, than our family. Isn't that true? I mean, yeah, I, there are people that are, that are really closer to me than my own family because... My family lives away, and these people live near me, and we do things together. We fellowship together. We have like uh, things that we like to do and stuff. So who are your close friends? Once again, those close friends, do they know Christ, have a relationship with Christ? If they are Christians, then what do you do to minister to them, to disciple them, to encourage them? Look beyond that. Your neighbor and business associates, those are the people who live by you. They live by you. They live near you. They might have lived there for years. You might have lived there for years. You're responsible for those neighbors. And then a business associate, that's the people you work with. Who's that person who sits in that cubicle next to you? Who's that person who comes to that meeting with you? Who's that person that you, you've worked with for all these years? Well, why do you think God gave you the opportunity to work with them? Just so you make a living? Or maybe opportunity to influence their life? So you've got neighbors and work associates. Acquaintances. Who are acquaintances? Those are the people that you just kind of wave at. <laughs> hey, how y'all doing? Yeah. Oh, I can't remember their name, but I know their face. <laughs> but, but you know them. It may be somebody in a store that you go regularly to. They're the cash register. They're not your friend. They're not a relative of yours, but you know who they are. You might see their name tag. It might be somebody, a waitress that you encounter. It might be somebody who goes to the gym that you go to or walks on the walking track. There's all kinds. You know, they're not really a friend of yours, but they're acquaintance of somebody you know. Why do you think God brought them in your life? Why do you think they're there? So that you can make an impact. And then finally, there's the person X. That's just somebody you encounter in life. That's that person you don't know, but God brings them your way, and you have a chance to say something to them impact that. We have those encounters all the time whether you realize it or not. Now, what you're supposed to do is on this paper, by here, I give you this, and on the back of this thing, it gives you a survey sheet. See that? 
At the very top, it says a survey sheet. And what you do is you can make a copy of that, and we'll be happy to give you copies, but fill, out, fill in the information on the people that are in your concentric circles. All right? Fill in as much information as you can regarding them. First thing you've got to get is their name. And then from their name, try to build a, a, a relationship with them and come to know who they are as far as address. Why would you want their address? Because we're going to talk to you about how to build bridges to people. One of the most important things you do in, in relational evangelism is building a bridge to people. How do you build bridges to people? By writing them a note. By making a phone call. By sending something to recognize a special occasion in their life. By uh, recognizing a birthday or, or something. Or being there for them. Okay, So knowing their address is important. Are there, in our day and time, our email address, how to contact them, their phone number. You can call a whole lot easier sometimes now. But you're trying to get, if I wanted to contact this person who's in my family, who's a friend of mine, who is in my mission field, how do I contact them? Okay? So that means you take and you write that name down. Now what I would do is I'd take the back of one of these papers and I just began to brainstorm. All right? Now that, I, you know, brainstorm, you know what that requires. I've got brain, that's right. A brain that's, that's storming, all right? So not just a little breeze. You need a real storm, okay? But you need a brainstorm. And just start writing down. Who are, who are your family? See, who's your, who are your relatives? Try to write down as many as you can. And then, and then whenever you don't have it, just write a blank out there, you know? Well, I know. I know Fred's got two children. I don't remember what their names were. Are, and they have grandchildren. So find out who, who they are and, and do that. And, and write down where your friends are. Who are your close friends that you have? Write down their, their names. Write down. Just start, just real easy, just make a list of who the people are that are in your mission field. You need to discover who your mission field is all about. That's the hardest part, okay? To me, it's the hardest part, is getting all that together, and then we'll learn what we're going to do with them, okay? That's what this paper is all about. This, this page, page here, it's backwards and forwards. It says stage two is the survey. Stage one is for you to have the right relationship with the Lord that you need. And if you have the right relationship with the Lord that you need and that you should have, what are you going to do in relationship to other people? How are you going to feel in relationship to other people in their eternity? How are you going to feel? Huh? Burden, caring, desiring for them to have that relationship with, with God? that you have with God, you're not going to be just out here nonchalant, well, if they go to heaven, they go to heaven, if they go to hell, they go to hell, that's whatever happens to them, happens to them. You're not going to have that. That is not the attitude of, that the Lord would want us to have in relationship to people. He wants us to care like He cares and to be able to try to reach them with the gospel. At least give, us an, give them an opportunity to hear the gospel. As I told you all Sunday, We'll say, and we pacify ourselves by saying, everybody in the Bible Belt, they know how to be saved. They can hear it on the radio. They can watch it on TV. They're not watching. Lost people are not watching Christian programming on TV. Lost people are not listening to Christian radio programs and, and uh, podcasts of Christian preachers or teachers. They're just not doing that, all right? It's a rare occasion that you'll find. They're just not, not going to do that. That's not their interest. They're going to be listening to the sports program. They're going to be listening to the news program. 
and politics. Everybody listens to They are not going to listen to the other things that we're talking about, all right? So we need, we need to understand that and get that in our heart and mind. So we have to allow the Lord to put into us a desire to touch them, a desire to influence them, a desire to make a difference in their life, and, and, and that we would help them to understand the importance of eternity. Okay, so we've got to get our hearts right. And the, sec- the second stage is we do that survey. That's I said, that's, that's work. Okay, so just begin to do the survey. Then we'll talk about it, but the next thing is to pray. Do, we re- do you really believe that prayer changes people? Do you think prayer can change people? I mean, do we, do we, I'm, I'm being real serious now. Do we really, really believe that? If we really do believe that, why don't we pray more? I mean, why, why, don't we, why don't we do that more? Why don't we say, God, you know, here's this person out here who's lost and not interested in spiritual things, and, and I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to ask you to change their heart, change their life, believing that you're going to do that, believing that you're going to make a difference in their life. If we believe that prayer changes people and changes things, then we ought to be doing it more. Okay, so once we find out these people that we're responsible for, then we pray for them. We're, we're going to pray for them. Now, you're not going to be able to pray for that. If you've got 200 people in your, in your list, you're not going to be able to pray for them every day. If you will, that's all you're going to do all day. But you can organize it to where you put certain people on certain days or certain people at least once a month. You put those people in. And, and you, know how, you don't know a lot of it, but you can call their name out. Lord, we just, like we do on Wednesday night, we call their name out. And, and Lord, you, you minister to them and you help us to build a bridge to them and they come to know Christ and meet whatever the needs are in their life. You, know, you, you can pray that for these, this group of people who are here. And, and who knows, you might be the only person in the world praying for that person. You ever thought about that? I mean, there are people in this world that nobody cares for their soul. Not, not one person. Not one person prays for them and asks God to save their soul and to give them a home in heaven. And you say, Brother Mac, how can you say that? Because I'm looking at us, and we all say we got family members that we haven't prayed for. Isn't that true? Would you acknowledge that? That you have family members in your family, maybe extended family, that you've never prayed for their salvation. So if you haven't prayed for your own family, what's the likelihood that people who are outside of your family are praying for that person to be saved? So there's, I mean, if we, do, if we never share the gospel, once we find out the people that we're responsible for, if we prayed for them, that's one step beyond what is happening right now. Amen. And, and, and boy, does, if we believe prayer changes people and changes things, then who knows what could happen? Who knows what would take place if we begin to pray? But you can't pray for those you don't know. You have to come to know them. You have to identify them. That these are the people that you would pray for. And I personally believe this with all my heart. If there's a person that somebody cares for their soul, somebody would pray for them and ask God to touch their heart and touch their life and... and look for a promise on that behalf, I believe those people can be saved. I don't believe anybody's beyond the reach of the grace of God. But I, but I think it takes people praying, being serious about that. Uh, then we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about how to build bridges to people. In your relationship to people, you're going to have an opportunity to build bridges or walls. Okay? There'll be opportunities in your life that you're going to have with other people, your relatives, your friends, your neighbors, somebody... 
You're going, to either, you're going to either build a bridge to them, which allows you to walk across and to be able to carry the good news or carry the message, and they want to hear it, or you can build a wall. And that wall is a wall you're going to have to climb over. And it's interesting, the situation, the same situation can either be a situation for you to build a bridge or for you to build a wall. All right? It's very same situation. Let me give you an illustration of that to start with. Let me help you understand. Well, my very first church that I, I went to to pastor after seminary. Now, let me tell you about seminary. Seminary is great and wonderful. It teaches you about Bible and, and Greek and Hebrew and all that. And it tells you how you're supposed to be a pastor. Only problem with most seminaries about being a pastor is they teach you how to be the pastor of a church running about two or 3,000. You know what I mean by that? They're going to teach you that you need to, you need to study and, and prepare to preach. Every sermon, every sermon that you preach, you need to at least give eight to ten hours of study for those sermons. Wait a minute. You're coming out of there, you're preaching at that time Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You give it eight to ten hours. That's 24 to 30 hours of getting ready to preach. What are you going to do? What about the rest of the stuff? What about hospital visits? What about evangelistic visits? What about, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Well, whenever I went to my first church, I went there and I was studying so I could preach good, you know, preach really good. And, and, and I was having a miserable time ministry-wise because people didn't like me very much and now, can you believe that, Gene? Gene can't believe that. Okay. But they did, did, didn't like me, because you know, I wasn't sitting on the porch with them and swinging and talking to them and everything like that. Well, bless, uh, bless the Lord, I, I had a revival, brought my home pastor into the revival. He did a great job, and, and he, he told me, he said, how are things going? I said, man, it's not going really very well, you know, this kind of thing. And he, he said, uh, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm studying hard and trying to preach hard, da-da-da-da. He said, well, how much time have you spent... He said, you need, to, you need to quit worrying about being such a good preacher. He said, your people will forgive a poor sermon, but they won't forgive you not loving them. He said, you need to get out there and start loving on these people more. And so I heard my pastor, what he said, so I started sitting on porches and loving on people, and it helped a lot, ministered a lot. In that situation, in that time, I had a, a volunteer music director, okay, a volunteer music director, and Bobby Stovall, Bobby had two songs that he sang every, 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 every Sunday. I'm not exact, every Sunday. Matter of fact, Bobby's in heaven now, and he, every day in eternity, he's singing that song. He, that, that, that's Bobby's song. If I hear that song, I think about Bobby, all right? Well, his name is wonderful, and... Uh, yeah, his name is wonderful. Is one we started with every Sunday, but anyway, Bobby, in that situation, Bobby's sister. She was not a member of our church, and she lived in a town just a little bit over from where we were. She died. She died, and at that time, I had I I, I was so busy and couldn't do it. Didn't know them, and and I didn't go to the funeral. I, I didn't go to the funeral. Now that's unheard of. I I can't even believe I was that dumb, but I was. But I, I didn't go to the funeral. And I'm here to tell you, Bobby, that hurt his feelings and hurt his heart, rightfully so, and built a wall between us that I had to crawl over and I had to ask his forgiveness and I'm sorry and I did. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, whenever I went through that experience, I wrote that down and, and I ever want that to happen again. 
I will travel miles <laughs> to go to funerals. I'll go to places and see people and try to be there as best I can to those times because that's the time where either you're going to build a bridge or you're going to build a wall. You're going to build a bridge. And it's, it's being there. You don't have to say anything. Just be there versus not being there. They remember when you're there, but they also remember when you're not there. Okay? So we, we need to make sure that in our relationship with these people that we love and who are in our mission field, that we'll, we're building bridges to them, not walls to them. And he has some great ideas. I'll share those ideas with you about how to build the bridges. Another thing he has that we don't have on this list is overcoming barriers. Aren't there certain barriers that keep us from sharing? How about you nervous? You ever get nervous about sharing your faith? Lack of confidence? How do you overcome those barriers? Like stage five is show love. His big thing was, I want to meet your needs, and love is meeting needs. How can you love on people? Find out ways you meet, meet to them physically, emotionally, mentally, family, finances, spiritual needs. You're going to do all you can to show them and to love on them. And then we come to the place, finally, of making disciples. And the first thing that is confronting them with the spiritual truth, sowing the seed of the gospel. You do not save anybody. I don't save anybody. All we do is plant the seed. We've tried to till the soil and love on them and make them where they'd be receptive to the seed that we're going to sow. And we're going to sow the seed of the Word of God in their heart, praying that God will bring forth fruit. And then as they, if they get saved and they come in a relationship, then we have a responsibility to help disciple them and grow them and so they can become disciple makers as well. And then it says down here, the final stage is begin again. Once we go with one, we go with another. Amen. And go with another, and go with another, and go with another. And it begins to multiply because people that we help to see that, they begin to help other people, and the multiplication process starts. We're going to go through all those things. This is your job. Your job right now is to begin to do that survey. All right? Now, I know it's going to take some time. It's going to be work. Just say, just pray right now. God, help me not to be lazy. All right? Go ahead and pray that. God, help me not to be lazy. All right, we're going we're gonna to work on this and see. And you're going to have to get some help, okay? You have to get some help. Maybe get out your family Bible. Any of y'all have that old genealogies of a family Bible? It'll help you to know who those family members are. But find out who it is you're responsible. Find out these others. And then next week, okay, next week I'd like for you to kind of tell me. You're not going to be through next week in doing that. It'll take more time than that. But I want you to tell me how many you got on your list as you just quickly go through that and put the ones you know easily down. I wonder how many people you got on your list that are on your mission field, in your mission field that God's holding you responsible for, share the gospel of Christ. Yeah, right? You have what? 48 aunts and uncles? Wow. Wow. Well, Ray, you might set a record. Man, that is something. And be fruitful and multiply. Wow, that's something. Well, you know, John Wesley's, John Wesley's mother, she had 19 children in 22 years. 19 children in 22 years, and she found time. Wait a minute now, she's a great example of what this method is. She found time to be involved in every one of their lives personally, spiritually. 
prayed for them. You got the Wesley brothers, who the Methodists are all here because of the Wesley brothers. Those brothers came from that family of having 19 children in 22 years. She still had time. <laughs> she was going. She, she spent her whole life pregnant, I guess. All right, let's pray. You got assignment. Work on that. We'll look at it again next week. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for the gospel. And thank you for the opportunity to share. And help us, Lord, to just in this practical way to find out the people that we can have the opportunity to share with and that Jesus will be glorified and honored through what we're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless y'all. Have a good rest of the week.